Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, friends and neighbors. Welcome back to the Bill Press Pod, and welcome to this week's Roundtable, where we look back at the big news of the week with three of Washington's crack political reporters, and again... What a week it's been. It started with President Trump in the hospital with COVID-19, then suddenly returning to the White House after telling Americans not to worry about the coronavirus, which has now killed 215,000 Americans, and declaring himself cured. It continued with the president pulling the plug on negotiations for a new stimulus package in Congress, only then later in the week to call on the talks to resume. On another front, The president refused to take part in a virtual debate with Joe Biden on October 15. But after Biden scheduled a town hall on ABC News instead, Trump, with a letter from his White House doctor, said he was going to Miami anyway and suggested they reschedule the debate. Meanwhile, the FBI unveiled a plot to kidnap the governor of Michigan, after which Trump accused her of complaining and doing a bad job by locking down her state over coronavirus. Hey, it's enough to make your head spin, and it does make you wonder, what the hell is going on? Well, let's find out. From today's panel, Igor Babish, national political reporter for Huffington Post. Hello, Igor. Hey, Bill. Hey, Eliza Collins, national political reporter for The Wall Street Journal. Hello, Eliza. Hi, Bill. And Sudeep Reddy, Managing Editor from Politico. Hi, Sudeep. Hi, Bill. All right, nothing more important than the president's health, because it does certainly reflect the health of the nation and the world. What do we know? So it was one week ago, last Friday morning, we learned that the president and the first lady had tested positive for coronavirus. Sudeep, start us off. What do we know today about the health of the president of the United States? We know he's alive and working. We don't know a whole lot that we can fully trust about his condition because most of the information we've gotten is information that he has approved uh, to be released. And there are a number of things that he has specifically not approved to be released. Um, we're, we're about uh, just over a week into his formal diagnosis from a PCR test of COVID-19. To have gone into the hospital and out is remarkable for somebody who had what is considered severe uh, coronavirus. He uh, needed supplemental oxygen. He needed uh, advanced drugs and and steroids, and he got some of the experimental drugs that few people uh, in America, few of the the 7 million people who have had this disease have have been able to take. Um, The fact that he's come out uh, and is back working is uh, probably a good sign for his health, but we're entering that final period of seven to 10 days after 
symptom onset where a number of severe patients have taken another decline. So if he can actually get through these next few days, he should be in good shape. As, uh, as we've heard from his first round of interviews, he's got uh, a little bit of difficulty um, breathing. He's had some, some coughs on air. Uh, all of those are not surprising for somebody who's had coronavirus. They are surprising for somebody who thinks he's going to go and do a 90-minute rally uh, and look good for the cameras while that's going on. Uh, so, Eliza, when did the president last test negative? We don't know. And I think that is really key to understanding when the president will be able to go back out um, on the road. I mean, presumably they will have him test negative before he goes out and holds a public rally. Aren't you supposed to have two negative tests? Isn't that what everybody says before you resume normal activities? That's what everybody says. Um, but that's not quite the White House. This White House has handled things very differently than their own CDC recommends. We know Trump tested positive last Thursday night. We do not know when he actually got the virus because they will not say when he tested negative before that. And that is really critical to understanding the timeline of him having the virus and when he could not be contagious. Um, as Sudeep said, he appears to be doing well and on track yet if he's out of that seven to 10 day period, assuming he first got the virus and began to show symptoms when he tested positive, which is what they are telling us, but we don't know when he was negative before that. Uh, Igor, the White House says, we're not going to tell you all this stuff because we have a right of privacy. So my question is, don't the American people have a right to know what's going on with their president? They absolutely do. And uh, the fact that they're not willing to give this information out while they're simultaneously releasing other medical information about his health just kind of shows you that they are uh, being extremely careful about uh, about this test and when he tested negative. And it puts into question whether he was getting tested regularly at all, because if he you know, if he had been getting tested, they could just put it straight out tell everybody when when that date was. Well, um, I'm curious about um, the information we're getting from the White House, particularly from the White House physician. Um, I noticed last night in sequence, I had a, that there was a tweet from Donald Trump saying, I'm ready to get out on the road and uh, I want to go to Miami and I want to have a rally, I think Monday or whatever he said, or maybe even as early as Saturday. Uh, and then uh, about an hour later, uh, on my cell phone, you all got it, I'm sure, uh, a copy of a letter, this is a memo, I have it in my hand here, from Kaylee McEnany, press secretary, by the way, who is also now quarantined because she tested positive, uh, memo from to her from doc, the White House doctor, Sean Connolly, who says... Uh, about Donald Trump, just a few sentences. Since returning home, his physical exam has remained stable and devoid of any indications to suggest progression of illness. Overall, he's responded extremely well to treatment. Saturday will be day 10 since Thursday's diagnosis, and based on the trajectory of advanced diagnostics, I fully anticipate the president's safe return to public engagements at that time on Saturday. That's tomorrow. Sudeep, who wrote this letter, the president or the White House doctor? 
You know, you, you uh, have to wonder about what is actually going on here and why it's happening this way. Prior presidents and vice presidents would normally dispatch the doctor uh, and sign away um, their their privacy privileges to tell the doctor to go be truthful with the American people. Tell the American people what they need to know about my health. Don't hold back. Answer all the questions. Let's do it right. Get it out of the way. This president has always been so cagey and evasive about his health, uh, to put it lightly, um, that he has been doing some things that are just frankly bizarre here, um, telling his doctor he can release certain pieces of the information, do not re release what happened with the, the lung scans and chest scans, um, which could have shown pneumonia, do not release when I got my last negative test or when I was tested, do release my pulse ox. Uh, there, there are so many things going on here that just make it impossible for anybody to actually trust what the doctor is saying. And Dr. Conley came out and was pretty clear about what was going on, that he was uh, over the weekend said he was uh, trying not to, to make statements that would uh, affect the president's health, a sign that the president was watching and he didn't want his spirits to be dropped. Um, and then he, he basically acknowledged that he was only releasing whatever information the president wanted him to, to release. So looking at a letter like this doesn't really do us any good if he's only releasing what the president has asked him to. Yeah. And meanwhile, the president's statements, Eliza, is, uh, to the American people is, hey, don't worry about this. Um, you know, look, uh, in fact, he said, quote, when you catch it, he told Maria Bartiromo yesterday, when you catch it, you get better, right? So 215,000 people as of this morning died from the disease, and the president said it's nothing to worry about. Right. Well, he is the president of the United States. He is getting the top care in the world. And he is also on experimental drugs that the American people just don't have access to. He has around-the-clock care, which are all things that the president of the United States should have. But for him to say that other people will get that same level of care just doesn't make sense. And there are families of 215,000 people who feel very differently. So for him to go out and say, you know, no problem, don't be scared of this is a really interesting message because beyond the people who have died or caught it, um, there are a whole bunch of people who are still working from home or not able to work because they've been laid off, who are doing homeschooling on it online because their kids can't go to school. So you know, this has really reverberated all throughout the whole economy. And so for the president to compare his care to what everyone else will get is just it's insincere. Uh, and extremely dangerous, I would add, to the American people to think basically no big deal. You get it, you get better. Right. And uh, uh, because everybody has 14 doctors and a helicopter standing by to rush them to the hospital whenever they need and they have all the drugs in the world they might want. Right. Don't we all have that access? Meanwhile, Sadiq, the president has been uh, giving all kinds of interviews and telephone calls, uh, to, particularly to Fox News, um, on a whole variety of subjects, um, kind of all over the place. Uh, makes you wonder kind of what's going on. Uh, let's listen, then I'd like to get your response. Even in the Army, all brand new uniforms with the belt, everybody wanted the belt. To my favorite people in the world, the seniors. I'm a senior. I know you don't know that. Nobody knows that. Maybe you don't have to tell them, but I'm a senior. Unless Bill Barr indicts these people for crimes, the, the greatest political crime in the history of our country, then uh, we're going to get little satisfaction unless I win and we'll just have to go because I won't forget it. 
and that includes Obama and it includes Biden. I don't believe the polls because we've never had this much support. They have a boat thing. They have 5,000 boats. They have thousands of trucks all over the country. So, Sadiq, um, again, he's all over the place. It makes you wonder uh, maybe the impact of some of these medications? He is all over the place. And, of course, Nancy Pelosi has, has speculated that maybe it is the medication. He uh, would probably be coming off of uh, the steroids he's been on, the dexamethasone, uh, over the course of the weekend. That is a, a drug that I believe gets tapered. So we'll see if that has some effect. Um, but the president often seems like he's, uh, he's extra energized um, by conspiracy theories and by uh, grievance. And so that's what he's doing now. I feel like in the last uh, few weeks of the election, the last three weeks, we're going to get like the greatest hits of the first three years. All of the things he's been animated about, all of the, uh, the, the things he's used to, to jack up his base are all going to come out right now. Um, just to remind uh, people of what he thinks he's gone through. And that is partly designed uh, to, to, uh, to push voter turnout. It's also partly designed for his claim that seems ine inevitable that the election was rigged, that it was unfair, that uh, he was not given a fair chance. And that's the kind of thing that will, will keep his supporters uh, standing by, as he says. Right. Um, now, I want to talk about some of the things that he did mention uh, a little bit later uh, in our conversation, but just a, uh, a postscript to, to your comments there. In the New York Times this morning, a, a critical care physician from the Northwell Health uh, Facility up in New York in Peter Baker and Maggie Haberman's article is quoted about th these steroids to, given to COVID patients. I just wanted to read one sentence of hers, quote, when we prescribe steroids, we warn our patients. This may cause you to feel jittery, might cause you to feel irritable. We tell family members, especially for our older patients, this may cause insomnia, this may cause changes in eating habits, and in extreme cases, mania and impaired decision-making. I'll just offer that comment by the doctor there without comment any more of my own. Um, but Eliza, final question on this before we move on. What, there are now four White House reporters who have come down, tested positive uh, in the last few days since the president tested positive. What precautions are you at the Wall Street Journal or you at Politico or Huffington Post taking about people who cover the White House? Well, the White House Correspondents Association has urged reporters not to go to the White House unless absolutely necessary. And for some reporters, it is absolutely necessary to cover the president of the United States. But all along, I mean, speaking at the Wall Street Journal, we have had training on COVID precautions. We have, um, we wear PPE. I mean, I don't cover the White House specifically, but anytime I go out, when I talk to voters, when I cover other campaigns, I have PPE, I follow social distancing um, regulations, and we've just been trained by, you know, risk management to take this virus seriously from the beginning. So I don't think it's changing much in terms of reporters who have taken this seriously all along. I think the big shift, and Sudeep can probably talk about this better because he actually manages people, but um, is just saying, you know, if you don't need to be somewhere, you absolutely shouldn't be there. And that is sort of going throughout the press right now. Sudeep, you know the briefing room as well as I. Is it safe to work there? 
You know, the White House is a, a funny place, particularly the uh, the West Wing and the briefing room. It's a lot of cramped spaces. It's um, been upgraded a number of times. It's uh, The air systems have been upgraded, but they're still not prepared for uh, a, a biological disease spreading throughout the space, particularly one that spreads in close quarters like this one. The briefing room is obviously not being used because the press secretary uh, is recovering from uh, coronavirus, but um, it is not it is not a place where we want reporters sitting around. Uh, there are little uh, cubbies, workspaces that are enclosed uh, behind the briefing room that a number of reporters use permanently. Those seem to be okay, but uh, generally we've asked our, our reporters and others uh, to exercise extreme caution. Many are just working from outside, spaced apart on the White House driveway. That seems to be a, a safer way to go these days um, and, and trying to avoid the indoor spaces entirely. But it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's not clear that the White House staff is following this uh, directly either. They're, they're coming out, walking around without masks on um, and doing, doing what they do. So uh, there's, there's a split picture going on with people who are on the grounds. Right. Uh, I just want to add that, um, speaking for myself, I follow the advice of the White House Correspondents Association. The last briefing I attended was on March 15, uh, and I'm not going to go back until they say it's safe for everybody uh, to come back. Uh, Igor, let's. So you 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 follow this very very closely, Igor. Everybody's wondering why don't you tell us when is the next presidential debate. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? I, I, um, I was wondering about this last night. It's, it seems like it's – I don't know which, which is harder to understand or even write about it at this moment. Uh, the stimulus negotiations, quote-unquote, or you know, the debate over the debate because uh, Trump seems to have put, you know, tied himself into a pretzel in so many different ways now that over this debate, uh, you know, pulling out and saying he wasn't going to do a virtual one, and now they're – trying to change the date and so it's kind of all up in the air um i think that he want he needs to debate i think his advisors want him to to debate because you know what is what does he want what does he crave eyeballs it's what he's always wanted um so i think there will be another presidential debate the temptation for him is going to be too great um to not to do one Right. Uh, so, Eliza, I know you've been covering the Biden campaign, too. I mean, uh, Joe Biden, President Trump's latest, it, it's hard to follow and it changes by the minute. But the latest I know is he said, OK, we won't if we don't do one on the 15th, let's do one on the 22nd and on the 29th of October. And Joe Biden said, no, not on the 29th. We agreed to these dates. We're going to stick to them. Where does this end up? How do you see it? Well, I think it's pretty fair to say we probably will not have a debate next week, the one scheduled for October 15th. This all started because the debate commission came out and said it's virtual. Um, They didn't cite the president's coronavirus diagnosis, but they said for the safety of those involved. The Biden campaign said, fine with that. Um, And then from there, there's just been confusion. So I'm not going to guess how many debates (laughs) there will be. But what I will say is to Igor's point, the president is behind and he needs to get out in front of as many people as possible and give his message. And an audience for a debate is a very large audience. And so he is the one that needs this more than Joe Biden. I mean, we saw Biden's 
uh, lead in polls grow as he was sort of stayed out of the spotlight. So the Biden campaign has no real incentive to agree to more debates um, just because the president has changed his mind a few times. So I think it's probably safe to say we'll see the one on the October 22nd, which they've both agreed on, a town hall style debate. But other than that, I really don't know what happens. And speaking of debates, um, I'd like to remind you all that uh, there was a debate this week. <laughs> it was soon eclipsed by Donald Trump's um, subsequent comments, particularly the next morning. But um, Vice President Mike Pence and Vice Presidential nominee Kamala Harris met uh, in um, St. Louis, I believe it was, wasn't it? Or No, Salt Lake City, right? And um, for their first and only vice presidential debate, Sudeep, did it change anything or have any measurable impact? Uh, it did not change anyone's opinions uh, about the people who are at the top of the ticket. It very well might have changed opinions about uh, the vice presidential candidates. This was uh, two people who have not been in the spotlight as much for a while. Kamala Harris has not really uh, been subjected to, to questioning uh, since she was named as the running mate. Um, and Mike Pence, while he is often in the spotlight, he's overshadowed uh, by uh, President Trump. And so um, it was in, in some ways a reminder of who these two figures are, which could play into the 2024 race uh, more than the 2020 race. I thought they both presented better versions of their tickets than their bosses could. Uh, I thought they both uh, had uh, answers to uh, the difficult problems each one of them faced um, in in their positioning. Um, but I don't think anyone's going to really uh, sway their vote if they're if they're undecided voters now. Then this was not uh, all that helpful. Uh, but it did seem, Igor, that this vice presidential debate um, might have. Um been more important than other vice presidential debates for some obvious reasons, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a chance that either of these candidates could eventually become president someday, you know, depending on who wins the election. So that was a lot on a lot of people's minds, even though they themselves, neither of them wanted to really discuss um, the age of uh, their running mates, their bosses, uh, and their and their health records. Uh, they would rather, you know, take pot shots against each other on on the various other issues. What, uh, what? I, the only thing I remember out of this debate really is the fly that landed on. <laughs> uh, for a lot of people, that's all they remember. <laughs> I think, right? Um, well, Eliza, the next. So at the debate, it was a fairly civil debate. Uh, the vice president at one point even complimented uh, Senator Harris on um, her standing her position uh, as a woman of color uh, and first one on a national ticket. Uh, the next morning, uh, Donald Trump called in to uh, Maria Bartiromo and called Kamala Harris a communist, a socialist, and a monster. Uh, so if the Trump campaign is really out to uh, increase their standing among women, what's going on? Well, I think this goes back to the biggest problem the Trump campaign has had all along, which is that the messaging they send out, I mean, Trump is really suffering with women right now. Um, it would probably be very helpful to appeal to women. Uh, the president does whatever he wants. And he 
it's often in contrast with what the press shop or other, you know, the vice president, cabinet members, aides want to talk about. And so, like, going back to why this debate didn't change much of anything is that Mike Pence certainly was more calm. He answered the questions. He talked about policy. He, at that moment, you know, congratulated Kamala Harris on um, her moment. But it doesn't change anything because this race ultimately comes down to whether voters like the president or whether they don't like the president. It's unlikely going, people are unlikely to vote because they like Mike Pence or Kamala Harris. So debates and coronavirus, there are some other issues. We like to do a lightning round on some of those other issues with our uh, round table today. But first, uh, Let's take a quick break here, and then we'll come back with Eliza Collins, Wall Street Journal, Sadiq Brady from Politico, and Igor Babish from Huffington Post. And today's roundtable is brought to you by the uh, good men and women of the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, the UFCW. 1.3 million members strong under President Mark Perrone. Uh, they are the good people who serve us in our big retail stores like Nordstrom's, our shopping or supermarkets, like Safeway or Stop and Shop, chemical plants, cannabis plants, distilleries, and uh, nurses across the country. Uh, all on the front lines during these days of coronavirus. We salute them, thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pod, and uh, ask you to check out their website, ufcw.org. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
And on this Friday morning, uh, October 9, we are back with our roundtable here on the Bill Press Pod. Eliza Collins joins us from the Wall Street Journal, Sadiq Reddy from Politico, and Igor Bobish from Huffington Post. A little lightning round on some of the other issues that we uh, that uh, uh, popped up this week we haven't had a chance to talk about. Um, Igor, let's start with you, because I think you mentioned earlier uh, the back and forth over the stimulus talks. Are are these talks going to continue? And do you think there's any chance, certainly a lot of American people are, are counting on it, that there will be a another stimulus package uh, in the next couple of weeks? I think that the odds of another stimulus package in the next couple of weeks are um, not not so great. Uh, I think, you know, even if by some miracle that the two sides agree to an overall number and kind of hammer out all the details, it'll take a little bit longer than that. Uh, given that Republicans are uh, rushing forward with confirming a new Supreme Court justice and, uh, frankly, the election, a lot of members are going to be out of town uh, campaigning for their own seats. Um, I, I think that the president has completely reversed himself now in demanding that there be a deal after, uh, you know, making this splashy announcement that he was pulling out and uh, kind of... Um, uh, hurting his chances for re-election and making that statement. Yeah, and so, Sudeep, I was going to ask you, too, about the politics of this. It seems there are small businesses, there are millions of American workers who depended on that supplemental assistance we're getting from the federal government, the small businesses and restaurants, just to stay in business. Uh, politically, what's the upside of pulling the plug on those on that supplemental help? It's, or it's is there any? It's very odd to see the president pulling the plug. It, it, it's adopting what is probably the extreme position of Republicans in Congress uh, to 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 become uh, to suddenly care about deficits and debt again. Um, partly, it's it's to play to the base to to argue that that uh, Nancy Pelosi just wants to help. Um, blue states, which uh, is not true. This is money. Um, the, she's, she's holding out for money that would help budgets for uh, state and local governments across the country that have been particularly hit hard. And you know from uh, every past recession that once they're hit hard for six months or a year, they end up doing layoffs for years after that and public services get cut uh, long after that. And so um, the, the, the downside is kind of obvious. The upside is really questionable. Trump was trying to look like he was in control of the situation when he he obviously wasn't. Um, but uh, now they're they're at this impasse that just seems unlikely to get resolved because uh, it would just be a, a uh, it, it's 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 wrapped up in too much uh, anger and distrust uh, pre-election for it to get resolved. Right. And so, Eliza, the other um, impasse, of course, is over. Uh, the confirmation hearings for uh, Supreme Court nominee Amy Coney Barrett uh, with two members of the Judiciary Committee uh, quarantined for COVID and a third senator quarantined too. Uh, Lindsey Graham, chairman of Judiciary, is, is, uh, says full speed ahead. Going to start the hearings on October 12. Um, is this going to happen? I think it's likely to happen unless we see 
more people who come down with COVID. They have had hearings before where some come in virtually. Voting is something in the Senate that does need to take place in person. But the timeline, if those are the only people who have COVID, they get better, they could be able to come in and vote in person. But we're getting closer and closer to the election day. Um, They're really trying to cram this in. I mean, there are questions about, you know, whether this is the smart political move to do this close to the election. Um, Democrats say no, Republicans say yes. But as of now, the hearings are set to begin next week. And those can happen because they can do a mix of virtual and in-person, even as Democrats say, you know, it's not fair and unsafe to have people come in. Republicans are in the majority and in control. Yeah. What about that, Igor, Uh, the politics of it? Republicans, of course, as Eliza pointed out, um, believe that this is important for their base. Um, Some Democrats say it's important for their base. How do you how do you judge the politics of it? Yeah, I mean, I I think Republicans have made the decision that this confirmation fight is going to draw their voters to the polls like it did in 2018 and the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. Um, Democrats obviously are going to raise a boatload of money off of these hearings, even if even if they're unable to ultimately stop uh, the nominee from from going forward. And what I think is interesting is the uh, the makeup on the the Judiciary Committee, uh, especially on the Republican side, is really kind of split into two camps. You've got um, several members who are who are facing re-election and who would rather not talk about these contentious, unpopular issues like Obamacare potentially getting repealed or, or Roe v. Wade going down. And then on the other hand, you've got more conservative members, you know, Mike Lee, Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, who are openly saying that that's what they want to see happen. So both sides are really going to exploit this to, to maximum. Right. Um, and then we have uh, Sudeep, um, the president yesterday, uh, as part of his call with uh, Fox Business and Maria Bartiromo, uh, going out not just after Joe Biden and, and, and others, but going after, out after members of his cabinet, particularly the attorney general of the United States, saying it would be a very, very sad situation if Bill Barr does not indict Barack Obama and Joe Biden before November 3rd. It is just you you shake your head when you're watching this or listening to this, wondering what on earth is he doing? Um, Barack Obama was a popular president. Uh, Again, it's designed to to energize the base, which seems to be all the president knows how to do at this point. Um, And everyone else, if there are any uh, undecided voters or swing voters watching this at this late stage, they must be thinking, do I really want to go through four more years of this exercise? Uh, by the way, could I ask, what is the crime for which Barack Obama should be indicted? Uh, being mean to President Trump. Well, look, the president, <laughs> Donald Trump thinks that he was uh, he was unfairly targeted, that, that they were out to get him from the beginning by having this surveillance. But obviously, he leaves out at every turn that the reason there was this uh, th- this surveillance, which is natural and normal, is because of the number of contacts between uh, the Trump camp and uh, Russian figures and other figures around the world, for which uh, Trump's first national security advisor actually did resign early on uh, in the Trump administration. So 
Um, of, of course, Trump is not going to mention all of that. All right. Uh, again, Igor, we look at everything in the political lens, but in terms of politics, again, what voters is this are convinced by this rant, right? Other than ones he already has. <laughs> That's a good question. I, I mean, I think it's, I think it's uh, one voter. The only one voter that matters is himself. Uh, he's driven by personal deep animosity towards uh, the Obamas, and he he wants to see this thing through. He feels victimized that you know by the Mueller investigation, by impeachment, and uh, he he wants his revenge. Yeah. Uh, so, Eliza, we can't end uh, Igor and um, Sudeep. We can't end the roundtable without talking about an incredible story uh, that broke yesterday um, with the FBI announcing uh, the arrest of some 16 white men in Michigan for a very detailed and very scary plot to kidnap the governor of Michigan, uh, Gretchen Whitmore, um, because they were not happy with uh, her asking them to wear a mask uh, to battle the coronavirus or to protect themselves and others from the coronavirus. Um, and uh, the president responded by calling uh, complaint, uh, I mean, sorry, accusing uh, Gretchen Whitmer of complaining and saying that she had done a lousy job uh, leading the state of Michigan uh, by demanding a lockdown for the coronavirus. Again, let's talk about the politics of this, Eliza. Well, I'm not quite sure, again, uh, who this is reaching. I mean, this is a stunning and, quite frankly, terrifying story that we saw some bipartisan, you know, basically condemnation over. People were scared about this, Republicans, Democrats. She's probably not the person to be picking a fight with right now. I mean, I will point out that in her remarks after this was announced, she did criticize the president for what she said was inciting violence and sort of feeding this um, feeling from people. And so, of course, the president can't let criticism go without a response. But right now, people are looking at this governor of Michigan who continued to govern as this was happening and, you know, presumably knew at some point that there was there were people plotting to kidnap her. And um, another group of people were also plotting to storm the state capitol. So she right now, people really feel for her and are terrified by this story. And so I'm not sure, again, who this convinces other than people who maybe are unhappy with the governor's response to the pandemic. Uh, and Sadiq, and Igor, like it both the way in, but I've not heard anybody blame Donald Trump for this kidnap plot. However, Back when these, including these men and other, um, whatever you want to call them, Trump supporters, were storming the Michigan Capitol, uh, protesting her efforts to uh, ask people to social distance and to wear masks, Donald Trump congratulated them, encouraged them on, and he actually issued a call for them to, quote, liberate, um, liberate Michigan. Um, Sudeep, some people take that the wrong way. Liberate Michigan, exactly. The, the, there are signals the president sends. Uh, sometimes they're, they're uh, overt, sometimes they're, uh, they're quiet signals, but that is clearly the signal that was sent here. It's similar to uh, the signal instead of denouncing the Proud Boys, 
mm-hmm. uh, openly telling them to stand back and stand by uh, in a way that they celebrated. And and what happened here is is the is the call to arms. Like we've we've heard this over and over again um, from th- this president and others in the party to to encourage people to to fight and fight hard. And that is what they were doing here. Um, in uh, in their view, it was overthrowing a government. Um, and so uh, I, I would not be surprised if we have more uh, treason cases ahead. Um, but this is also a, uh, a kind of terrifying window about what, uh, what our, our nation is getting into. Uh, we started, uh, it'll make all of this, will, will make the, the start of the last decade look kind of mild with the, the rise of the Tea Party if we've got armed militias uh, stepping up for the next decade. Yeah, and Igor, this all does relate to the failure to condemn white supremacy, doesn't it? Yeah, and if you can imagine it, it just happened a couple of days ago in the presidential debate. Um, I, yeah, I and I'd, I'd also like to point out that you know the president has not condemned what has happened. Um, his attorney general hasn't come out, made a statement about it, condemned it, um, and. You really have to wonder the conversation we would be having if, if this plot was was orchestrated by, uh, you know, uh, hmm. Muslim uh, people or uh, you know refugees or any other kind of group that, that Donald Trump has attacked in the past. Uh, excellent point. An excellent conversation with a very 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 busy week. Uh, but before we let you go, there must have been one story either related to something we talked about or maybe not at all that stopped you in your tracks for a second and said, oh, this is a funny story or an interesting story. We call it your favorite story of the week. Uh, Eliza, how about you? So I'm going completely off topic because I think we all need something really light. (laughs) Um, So I think this came out the week before, but I heard about it on the radio this week, so I'm claiming it. Uh, Parrots in a London zoo or wildlife park had to be separated because they were egging each other on with cursing. So they all came in and during the quarantine just started (laughs) learning um, swear words and were just getting worse and worse. doing it at people who, as they walked by. And so they all had to get separated. They were cursing obscenities in the yes. London Zoo? Yes. <laughs> the and question is, on, which is amazing. Uh, the question is, who did they learn them from, right? right. right. <laughs> How about you, Igor? Uh, <laughs> I've, I've got to stay on topic. And my, my favorite story was absolutely... Uh, Donald Trump's campaign commercial in in front of the White House after he came back from from the hospital, oh, yeah, you know him saluting into thin air and I guess the press uh, as the chopper took off and he you know t- taking off his mask very theatrically and it all you know a lot of people made conversation uh, co- comparisons to Evita and, and that <laughs> that imagery. Um, I thought the Lincoln Project. Uh, uh, ad that a commercial ad or whatever they that they did uh, uh, the parody of Avita and Donald Trump on the balcony was just uh, uh, worth the price of admission. It was so well done, very very funny. If you haven't seen it, check out the Lincoln Project, Evita. Uh, yes, that was a moment indeed. Sadiq, what caught your attention? Uh, my favorite story of the week came uh, for a courtesy of the local press in Iowa. The Dickinson County News had a story oh. about a uh, about a, a, a 
yard sign theft, um, but it was more than that. It was a man <laughs> who had donated tens of thousands of dollars to Republicans who was caught stealing a pro-Biden yard sign. Um, and when he was caught and arrested, it was, I think, a, a fifth-degree uh, crime, a misdemeanor. Um when the article in the newspaper came out, he then went around town to different stores stealing copies of the local newspaper that had the story about him stealing the pro-Biden yard sign. And this local newspaper story in the Dickinson County News just goes through and documents his his like crime spree going around, how he's hiding these newspapers under other free newspapers and going around just like it's like completely bizarre like what has happened how have we gotten to this point where this person who donates tens of thousands of dollars is now just like a, a common criminal trying to cover it up it's like a it's a bad crime oh. the, the question is how did you discover that story in that local paper in it, Iowa? It, it, it became a viral moment on twitter uh, and it is uh it is just perfect for for the times we're living in yeah well uh, uh my favorite story i want to go back to something that igor mentioned earlier which uh, we've all been talking about of course which was not the fly on the wall uh, but the fly on the helmet um, of white hair worn by Mike Pence during the debate. Um, what I thought was so brilliant about it was that immediately uh, the Biden campaign went up <laughs> to raise money off the fly. Uh, and they, they sent out a, a photo, we've all seen it, I'm sure, with Joe Biden holding a fly swatter. They started hawking these fly swatters online. Total shameless promotion, but very funny. Hawking the fly swatters for $10 each, and they sold 35,000 of them that evening. Um, so there you go. You can turn anything into money when it comes to politics, I guess. Uh, I thought it was interesting that um, I forget exactly who did the follow-up poll um, but 62% of Americans say they had heard about the fly on Mike Pence's head. Uh, only 61% of Americans said they had watched the debate. Uh, so more people heard about the fly uh, than, than watched the debate. It was, uh, it was certainly a moment, maybe the highlight of the whole debate. Eliza Collins, Sudeep Reddy, Igor, Igor Bobbies, thank you so much. Uh, tell us where people can find you and follow you, Igor. Uh, on Twitter at Igor Bobby. Igor Bobby, B O B I C. Sudeep? R E T D Y at radio. That's easy. And Eliza? I'm also on Twitter at Eliza Collins1. There you go. And I'm on Twitter at Bill Press Pod. At Bill Press Pod. Thank you, Eliza. Thank you, Sadiq. Thank you, Igor. And thank you all for listening. Thanks for joining us today. Please subscribe to the Bill Press Pod by going to wherever you're listening to this podcast, holding up the Bill Press Pod and click on subscribe. And other than that, our only request is that you stay strong, stay safe, stay sane, and come back and see us on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.